Hi there, this is Dennis Sestere, co-designer of Bunnies and Burrows, and you're listening to Save for Half, where you can learn the true status of Schrodinger's cat at any time. School games and the modern games inspired by them. Howdy, y'all. Welcome to Safer Half Podcast. I'm doing the Texas thing since we're dealing with a Texas based company for this game. And that is The Fantasy Trip by Steve Jackson Games, formerly of Metagaming, but Steve Jackson got the rights back in 2017, I think it was. 17 or 18. Anyway, I am Dia Mike, and for this game, I will be playing a half-breed character, a giant halfling. (laughs) So, a human. No, he's a huge halfling. Six feet if he's an inch. (laughs) And that is Diabliz, who will be playing a what? A prut waddle. Prut waddle. Prut prut waddle. Yes. That's right. It has to be prut waddle because... I am prut. Exactly. (laughs) She went down that list and found the most anime species name she could. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, I, I saw Prut Waddle. It's like, okay, that is what I want solely. So I will be able to say, I am Prut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was joking with her that she would choose her top five and just say over and over again, I am Prut. And then I go, so, <laughs> so tempted. Armor system was a bit whacked in this game, wasn't it? <laughs> Pokemon, Prut Waddle, I call you. Prut, <laughs> <laughs> Prut. And then. I'm not sure a man with the power of a crab or a crab with the powers of a man. Crab man, DM Corbett. I'm there, so the party has crabs. Woo! (laughs) We're covering this game, crabs or no crabs. (laughs) At least you came out of your shell. (laughs) (laughs) Well, sideways, anyway. (laughs) And that is DM Jim, a vanilla human wizard. But he has the fire spell and a lot of mana. I said, we are talking about the game, The Fantasy Trip, a game which originally started as little micro games of Melee and Wizard, and later evolved into a role-playing game. And we will talk about it in more detail, but before we do, I'd like to send a question out to, or a request to the listeners out there in Internet's land, to send us some questions for our end-of-year show. We were thinking about doing another end-of-year retrospective, but rather than just covering all the stuff we've done over the past year, we thought it would be a great time to answer any questions you guys have that you wish we would answer, but we never do. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Send those pointed, nosy questions that we don't want to answer. 
Please. Keep them Briarch friendly. And we will choose selected <laughs> ones to answer on the show. And where would they send them? Corbett. Save for half podcast at gmail.com slash not save for die. Save for die. Save for die, save for die, save for die, save for die. That's a lot of typing. Just go with save for half podcast at gmail.com. Probably be simpler. All right. Well, let's take a quickie pod break. And then when we come back to Mike and the Mechanics. What do you get when a fantasy gaming horror sci-fi geek and an army veteran history nerd want to do a comic book related podcast? Why? You get the Weird Warriors podcast, of course. Weird War Tales was a 124 issue DC comic book series published from 1971 to 1983. Along the way, we'll sidetrack on to an occasional special mission where we discuss an issue of a like themed comic book from a different title or publisher. There are also the rare Road Warriors episodes where we report on comic related road trips like conventions or visiting the homes and grave sites of comic greats. We'll nitpick what the comics creative team got wrong and crawl about what they got right. We'll also break down the facts behind the fiction in the stories which is sometimes quite weird in its own right. Even the letters page and our favorite ads can't escape our judgment just as we can't escape yours in our own dead letter office mailbag. Torpedo eating dinosaurs. Haunted chateaus. Time-traveling rats! Zombie robots! Day-walking vampires! Gargoyle armies! And that's just in the first 20 Weird War Tales episodes. So, report for duty with the Weird Warriors podcast with Max and Rich, where we promise to make war no more. He, he, he was a Coke. She was a Pepsi. Together, they were a Coke and a Pepsi. It's the story of a much older, older Pepsi and a much younger Coke. She offered him a thrill. He went along for the ride until one day... Jealousy took over. Pepsi found out her friends liked the new Coke for his better taste. And that's when they fell out. Well, uh, that's when Pepsi fell out. This is Mac, 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 Max Hedrum. Catch the wave. Coke. Thank you for joining the Safer Half News Break. This is DM Corbett, and I'm here to fill you in on the information you need to know. YouGov America survey came out, and apparently 7% of all men in America feel like they can beat the crap out of a grizzly bear. 7%. While 9% of all men think that they can beat up an elephant. Yes, an elephant. And of course, an even 10% feel like they can take on a crocodile. Hand to hand, no weapons can take them down. So, please avoid these people at all costs. But where you should probably not avoid these people is at the Pig-Faced Orc Convention in California, October 1st. The Pig-Faced Orc Convention of old school gaming and all the games you want to play around that is in Woodward Park Regional Library. It's at 944 East Perrin in Fresno, California. That's Saturday, October 1st, 2022. The Pig-Faced Orc Convention, you should definitely check it out and probably not try to fight a bear while you're doing it. 7% people, come on. This has been your news report. It's time for Mike and the Mechanics.
sorry, sorry. sorry. That's Mike and the mechanics of the game. My bad. Mike and the mechanics. Okay, everybody get comfortable because this is going to take a while. Since it came from a micro game, you know it's going to be packed. There are three attributes. Strength, dexterity, and IQ. And IQ pretty much just applies for a wizard, at least as far as combat's concerned. There are no classes in this game. As a human, you tend to start with an 8 in each of the three and 8 points to distribute as you wish. You buy talents, depending on what your IQ is. and same with spells, if you want to be a, a caster. You can be a caster and a warrior type, but you have to have silver weapons and armor in order to wear them and to fight. Otherwise, it screws up with your spell casting. The combat system is pretty simple. You use your decks to determine whether or not you hit. Your strength tends to be your hit points, as well as any saving throws. An IQ we've already discussed. And I don't want to steal any of Jim's things, so. <laughs> you guys all assumed I would focus on wizard, didn't you? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was the goal. Yeah. <laughs> Are you saying you didn't? Oh, no, no, of course I did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on a side note, when I said about the humans, 8, 8, and 8, different races start with different original point totals. So, you know, that's how they handle how elves, dwarves, halflings, goblins, prude waddles. Etc. You know, end up. I'm going to be a prude waddle wizard. <laughs> and you roll everything in this game is d6s. Damage is d6, but it's the number of dice with pluses or minuses numbers. So you have different ranges, but you're still just using d6s. You roll 3d6 to get your decks or lower to hit. The same with any checks against a talent or an attribute. The number of D6s, though, are determined by the referee, determining on how easy or difficult it is. There are critical hit and miss thresholds, but those numbers change slightly depending on how many dice you're rolling at the time. Everything is a bell curve. It may be wide, it may be peaked, but it's just a bell curve. Exactly. And that's pretty much it. That's the core mechanic of the game. The game comes with a hex map. Movement allowance is in number of hexes. Ranges are in hexes. Hex, 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 hex. All the hexes you can eat. And that's Mike and the Mechanics. So, first impressions. That's just a first impression. I could be totally wrong. It's only a first impression. And though the impression is strong, it never can hurt a question. And we'll start with Jim. <laughs> My first impressions are my old impressions, which is we played the holy crap out of Melee and Wizard back in the day, so much so that uh, my brother ran off and he actually wrote a game before I ever thought about doing writing anything besides a campaign. So that part we loved. We never picked up the fantasy trip or in the labyrinth, which what yeah. would be the proper name for the RPG? The RPG as a whole is the fantasy trip. Okay. It's Melee, Wizard, and then in the labyrinth. The PDF we were looking at was the reprint from the Kickstarter re-release in 2017 or 2018, one of those two. It's weird. They imported Advanced Melee and Advanced Wizard into the In the Labyrinth book. Originally, In the Labyrinth did not have the Melee or Wizard rules. You had to own Melee or Wizard to have that. When you said you played the heck out of it, did you 
basically run it like did you run any of the solo adventures or did you just play it straight like D? no role playing at all just man-to-man combat in an arena and then just variations of that okay you got two or three guys and a couple of them are fighters and one of them are a wizard and stuff like that the game my brother went off to write a roman gladiator game very that took a lot from this he just uh, changed the rules around so pretty much as it was originally intended as the two mini games yeah from, yeah this was longer games yeah. We weren't old enough to know anything about Chainmail, so we did this instead. Yeah, the original micro games came with the little maps and really thin cardboard counters for various humans and other demi-creatures that you could use to fight and deal with. I bet you my brother still got his originals. I've, I've still everything. got mine from way back in the day. We used to play it in the early 80s. So it has lots of, of nostalgic feels for you then. So rereading it, my opinion didn't change. Two thumbs up for the mini games, and uh, I'll talk later about my opinion of the RPG. Okay. Corbett? You know, I've seen it a million times. I think I had a copy of Melee. I just never, ever really read it. So this was fun to go, go back and kind of retouch it. As a, as a micro game, I think I've, I really like micro games because they're straight into the point. They're kind of like a board game where they break down to... I just want to do this one thing. I don't care what everything else is in the world. I just want to do this one thing. And that makes it kind of fun. And I think it's interesting to look at it as a full-blown game now, because now it's a 177-page micro game. Yeah. Notice the air quotes. Right, and the little <laughs> tiny pamphlets that were like 20 pages, and each booklet was maybe like, what, four inches wide by six inches long, something like that. I would say it's it's a good game. Uh, in, in on the surface and even under the surface it's still pretty good but it feels kind of like you go to a monster truck rally and they inflate a bigfoot and then the inflated <laughs> bigfoot runs over the cars and you're like well i guess that's kind of like what i wanted to see so it's it's in that zone but not quite yeah did this predate ogre or did this come after ogre i don't remember i think it was after ogre Okay. I think Ogre was the very first thing Steve Jackson did for metagaming. Mm. Uh, I'd have to check my Apple Klein histories, but I'm pretty sure that was the case. But for those under 40 who may be listening to the podcast, it's like an app game for your phone, but it was on paper and, and you bought it at the store. <laughs> hey! So what are vinyl records again? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, the little baggies were about the size of a modern cell phone, so there you go. Yeah, so, yeah that's true. Perfect. Okay, Liz, first impression. My first impression mostly had to do with the background that they created for their world of Sidri. And it really gave me the impression, you know, like Corbett said, monster truck rally, suddenly there's an inflatable Bigfoot. And <laughs> it really it really <laughs> lends itself to the gonzo style campaigns of the late 70s and early 80s. You have your yeah. sword and sorcery side by side with high tech, and you can throw just about anything in there you want. And they've got these gates with a capital G, which allow for adventures to and from other worlds. You can use a gate to either step across the world of Sidri itself, or you could use a gate to go to a different world altogether and then come back home when you're done. I presume that was a nod to GURPS. Well, actually, GURPS came after this. Yeah, well, not at 2018. <laughs> well, no, but that, it was basically when Steve Jackson formed his own company, he couldn't get Fantasy Trip from Metagaming. Metagaming either refused to sell it or wanted such an astronomical price that Steve Jackson said, well, forget that. I'll do GURPS. And it, it was B. It was definitely B. Yeah. <laughs> so it was proto-GURPS. 
in, in a way. That's why it, it seems so familiar. But yeah, talking about the high tech and such, one of the, much like Tunnels and Trolls, they put out a lot of solo adventures. And one of the ones they did was called Security Station. And basically you're going down in a dungeon that is the ruins of a high tech security station. Sort of a a shrunk down equivalent of Expedition of the Barrier Peaks. Hmm. I love how genre mash is sometimes considered a more modern invention when it was in the roots of the game all the way back to you know, hey, we've got medieval war rules. Let's add dragons. Okay, now let's add some Nazis and some tanks. Yep. Yeah. Now let's add spaceships. <laughs> well, how much Barsoom stuff was in the original D and D? I mean, you know, it's just... yeah. But yeah, anyway, my first impression. I love this game. Me and the old uh, crew back in Mississippi played this a lot. In fact, the last campaign I ran, the players were playing basically maroon space marines on the surface of Sidri, who were having to run around and try to deal with dragons and all sorts of things in powered battle armor with with high-tech weaponry, but with limited power packs. So that was kind of fun. But I really enjoyed the solo adventures. I got most of those, and you know, that was a way I could play at home whenever I had a few spare minutes. It's like, I got an hour, I'll play through some of the Death Test, or Death Test 2, or Death Test, you know, Death Test, The Wrath of, of Drizzt, or Thorazd, I think it was called, the guy was called, but anyway. So it was a lot of fun. I've been meaning to bring this up for us to cover for some time, and that's why I finally went and made it my choice. Oh, dude, and your timing couldn't be better, because what I've been working on for weeks is a revision of my own skirmish-level miniatures rules. And so so I'm, I'm like reading them side by side, going, oh, okay, I see what he did there. I remember yeah. that. Cool. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. So... It was meant to be. Speaking of meant to be, let's go into top fives. The save for half top five. In five, four, three, two. We'll start with Jem, so nobody be, hopefully will be stealing his stuff. <laughs> we just spent like five minutes dancing all around my number five. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, yeah. I mean, everything Corbett said is, is, is to the point that the fantasy trip was conceived intentionally by Steve Jackson Games as a second generation role playing game. Even when it was just a micro game that was just a combat, he said this is second generation role playing very much in that late 70s response to D&D. We're going to show Gary Gygax we know how to do it better. And address some of the abstracted rules in D&D that trace all the way back to don't give up the ship, like how armor class affects whether you can hit. No, 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 that doesn't make any sense. Your dexterity determines whether or not how easily you can hit this guy. And then his armor is just going to take a certain amount of hits and absorb them. And all a bunch of little things like that. So if this is the second generation role-playing game, the things that we might critique and criticize about it were all the same things Steve Jackson saw himself because... That's where GURPS came from. That makes GURPS his third generation system. And we played the hell out of GURPS. It was the 80s already. Yeah, early 80s. We were mm-hmm. playing GURPS up one side and down the other for the same reasons. Okay, let's try a whole different system from D&D. Yeah. Okay. And you can see the threat. You can see the connective tissues. Like GURPS is all about the point by. You don't roll anything to generate a character. It's point mm-hmm. by. And that starts right here in the fantasy trip. Yeah. In fact, this may even predate Champions as far as point by. 
goes. Really? I think it does. Well, this was 1980, so, and I think Champions first came out in 81, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, with Melee being 77, that this that yeah. would make this first, as a concept, anyway. Hmm. Yeah, I think 80 was when In the Labyrinth came out, so, yeah, 77, and I think 78 or 79 for Wizard, so, yeah. And I believe, at least, I don't know so much about Wizard, I can't remember, but I believe in Melee, part of its design philosophy was you could use it in lieu of the D&D combat system in a game of D&D. But once we figured out the mini, the first minigame melee, that was why we were into it. It's like, okay, well, wait a minute. That didn't make sense in D&D, so let's, let's try this and see how it works. All right. Well, Corbett? I'm sure Liz has a plethora of animals in list, but I'm just going to mention one of the animals. They're, they're a bestiary. is pretty fun to read through, but there was one that threw me off because they put a lot of regular, totally normal monsters in there or animals, and they put in dolphin and explained how to write it. <laughs> <laughs> dolphin. I was like, cool. I am totally going to make an aquatic paladin. <laughs> With a, now I have this picture of a helmet with like a snorkel built up on the side. <laughs> Yeah, a guy who's going to drown for sure if he falls off. But yeah. <laughs> it's still funny. I just thought it was neat. But there's a bazillion monsters in it, and they're all kind of weird and fun to read through. So I'm sure there'll be more. Well, I was annoyed <laughs> that he put the IQ of a cat lower than a dog. Cats are clearly yeah. smarter because they choose not to do what you ask them to. <laughs> hey, it's, it's like or they're are jerks. easier to train, ergo they're smarter. No. <laughs> That isn't the case at all. Yeah, but dogs care about your life. How about that? <laughs> if the ease of uh, being trained was a factor, then that would make men smarter than uh, women, which is clearly not the case. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, Liz, <laughs> what's your number five? Oh, kind of segueing off of um, what Jim had been saying about the point by and everything. I'd wanted to talk about the character build. It's just that. You start with your base stats and you use extra allotted points depending on what race you choose to add to the ones that you want. And this allows you to create whatever type of character you want to play. But if you wanted to keep the randomness of AD&D character generation, there is a quick character generation system that you can use where you roll randomly from tables to determine what your character's profession would be. So if you want to have that randomness where it's like, I don't know what character I'm going to have until I roll these dice, you can still do that. Late 70s goodness. Okay, my number five. Okay, this is a design choice, and I know it doesn't really affect play at all, but it just annoys me when reading through it. I hate, 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 hate their use of the dollar sign for the price oh, of yeah. everything. <laughs> I actually enjoyed that. I hated that. <laughs> it takes me out of the whole fantasy thing. Yeah, I know they're saying the dollar sign stands for silver pieces. And I appreciate the idea of a silver-based economy instead of a gold-based economy. Well, there's still gold. Oh yeah, there is gold, but but everything is based on silver rather than on gold, which I find better as far as plausibility goes. You can still get gold, of course, but... Gold. I agree with you, Mike, and Corbett's just wrong. That dollar sign is <laughs> stupid in a fantasy. Yeah, it just... Well, yeah, but what, what would you put as a symbol, though? The pound sign? I mean, it's just a symbol. Silver piece. <laughs> you could say SP for silver pieces. Yeah, big S with a line through it works, too, you know? <laughs> no, no, it doesn't. Uh... That was clear, concise, and well-presented. 
You're wrong. <laughs> Jim, number four. Let's talk about ladders next. <laughs> and then the cost of ladders will be after See, that. I was just sitting here thinking about cracking on the ladder thing. <laughs> <laughs> you did it for me, so thank you. I, permission to go straight to the magic system? By all means. I <laughs> think you guys probably took magic things off your list just to make room for me, and I appreciate it. Yeah, I didn't that. choose any magic. I wouldn't want you to do that, but thank you. <laughs> I really, really, really like the magic system in this, and I'll explain why. Uh, within the confines of what we played, which was just melee and wizard, when it was wizard duel, it was basically there's a spell list, and your IQ determines both the number of total spells you can have, and they're ranked by IQ. So if you've got an IQ of 11, you can only go up to the 11 IQ spells for your choice. But what I like about the system is something that wouldn't work in D&D. It's limited. The, the, the spell list, there's plenty of spells to choose from, but there's, but you know what, total maybe 20, 24, and that's it. And so that turns the wizard battles quickly into a game of wizard chess. It's very similar to, but I think, in my opinion, better than M.A. Barker's old TSR game, War of Wizards. It's that exact same. If, you, if it's just you and another wizard, you've got a, that Roger Corman movie, House of Usher. Which one was mm-hmm. it that had Lon Chaney and Boris Karloff in a spell duel and chairs opposite each other? It's very much like that. And I love that. You can't just go ripping. you got to think, okay, I got initiative. What's the first thing I'm going to do? Well, I probably should have mentioned this in the Mike and the Mechanics, but Lest anyone think that if you're a wizard, IQ is all that matters. Strength matters because that's the amount of spells you can cast. They they, they call strength points, and when your strength goes to zero, guess what? You lose. Yep, Mm -hmm. you are out. You have one tiny chance if you go to exactly zero but not lower and have a summoned creature that has until the end of your turn to still act. (laughs) That's it. Yeah, so cool. Although I don't recall looking or actually counting, are there still only about 20-odd spells in the advanced wizard section? I didn't compare them, but when I scanned them, it looked like the exact same list. I'm sure there was probably some revision involved or something. Okay, I wasn't sure. It looked to me at a glance like exactly the same thing. And And this is me saying I like a magic system in which magic missile or magic fist, in this case, doesn't automatically hit. You've got to roll for it. Yeah, everything is a roll. There's no auto hits, which you just roll to save against. And I fibbed a bit. I do have something on magic, but it's very minor, and I'm I'm fairly sure you probably haven't chosen it. So anyway, we'll get to that. Corbett, four. Okay, this is a complaint, and it pulls me out of the game, Mr. Dollar Sign. <laughs> <laughs> this, was, this was something that art-wise, I mean, the art's pretty good. It's actually not like noodly blotchy inky things it's not booker art but there are essentially group portraits every i don't know every other chapter every two or three chapters and it's obvious their creators are the ones they're doing the portraits of and their dogs which is <laughs> weird but the thing that throws me off totally out is their exact portraits so they're all wearing glasses i want to know what lens crafter is in the world of sidri are they like on every corner like here or just once in a while uh there's a profession of gadgeteer listed in the rules <laughs> and they make very com- common normal glasses i just want to point that out no no I, like I, lens I crafters you guys want to complain about dollar signs everybody wears glasses <laughs> <laughs> okay that's it okay <laughs> All right, Liz. 
I'm not a huge fan of the facing, engaging, and disengaging rules in the advanced combat section. But then I've I've never been fond of the more hardcore wargaming aspects to RPGs in any system, so this isn't really a big surprise. If it was me, I would probably just stick with the basic combat rules from Melee and Wizard rather than go with most of what's in the advanced magic section. But for if you do like crunch, you got all the crunch you want here. So for anyone listening who does care for that, this will be a bonus for you. (laughs) (laughs) What's funny is it's got pretty good grappling rules for a game that doesn't come with grappling rules. Like there's, there's all those rules around hand to hand. Can you cast a spell and when you're a wizard in hand to hand, well, there's rules for that. Yeah, and to be fair, also there's some sections in there like um, using magic from horseback. <laughs> that's pretty interesting, and that's not something I've ever seen talked about specifically in a lot of other RPGs. So even though as a whole I don't much care for the advanced combat section, I do like that, and there's other little bits too that I like, but. Yeah, it's like, eh. <laughs> yeah, I like the beginning of the jousting section and the horseback rules. They were grousing about how, why would you do this in a dungeon? We didn't have it, but the playtesters insisted. So here. <laughs> <laughs> they made us do this. <laughs> exactly. Okay, that it? That's it. Okay, my four. And this is a bit about the magic. One thing I really did like is there is a spell called Wizard Staff, which I think is a really cool idea that even, you know, at relatively low level, you could basically get a staff and you can put mana into it. Now, it costs you experience points, but what it basically does is it gives you a separate strength battery for casting spells. That way, you've got a little backup if you need it, and it increases as you increase in power and IQ. By the way, experience points are used to buy new talents, or new spells, or increase attributes. So just because you have a IQ 11 wizard doesn't mean you're stuck there forever. But I like that because it gives starting wizards a little extra oomph without overbalancing them incredibly. Yeah, yeah. And in contrast to D&D, a wizard in this game can't start with less than an 8 strength and wouldn't want to. Yeah. Otherwise, oh, I cast my spell. Oh, I'm out now. Next. <laughs> it is casting like Vanshin. You have one spell and you're out because you have a strength of 4. Okay. Jim, three. My number three. And I'm sorry, Corbett, I was just trying to joke around with you when you're complaining about the game, because my complaints are coming. But my my number three is the rules as written suggest you may want to, in certain situations, use a referee and then in the in the mini games and then in the role playing game obviously there has to be a game master there's no if about it the game definitely has enough play in the rules that even playing at the simplest level like you would chain mail and it's just man to man or a couple of men to men it does require a judge or referee because the, there's there's all kinds of things that you know friendly players with a good sense of honor would be fine, but who is that exactly? Or you're playing solo. Yeah, yeah. You, you, your guy's hiding in shadows somewhere, and you're tracking his movements, and the opponent has to guess. Well, I want a referee watching that track, mm-hmm. uh, or invisibility, or illusion. So really cool rules for how to run it, but they need a referee. So don't listen to the way the game's written. It absolutely requires a referee, even if you're just going to play Melee or Wizard. Unless you are of the Monopoly school of thought and the whole thrill of playing is you know there's going to be a family fight. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Corbett? 
I am going to defend Jim, even though he doesn't know he's been insulted. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is something I was reading through the, the character creation, because they, they don't have classes, but they kind of do by saying, you're a wizard or you're a warrior, more or less. But in the character creation, they specifically point out that you're a hero or a wizard. So wizards are not heroes, but heroes are, so... Sorry, wizard. I thought that was a little, it's a tiny little thing in the character creation I thought was like, oh, guess, but it's a bit of a snub for anybody who wants to play a wizard, which is, I don't know, everybody probably. <laughs> I suspect that's another drift over from D&D. Well, like a title? Yeah. Heroes, super, I mean, and even Chainmail, your leader characters were heroes or superheroes or wizards. I guess, but it just seemed kind of like, you know, you can be awesome or you can be a wizard. <laughs> if that's an insult, none comprehended. <laughs> Heroes and zeros. Just funny. All right, Liz? One thing that they talk about is, or in the game mastering section, having an assistant to roleplay monster NPCs working with the game master. This is something I've personally never seen in action before, even at convention games. Although, to be fair, my convention play experience is fairly limited. But I'd be really interested in seeing that done sometime and watching how that actually goes. I mean, the idea sounds very interesting, but I'd like to see it actually in play as opposed to just reading about the concept it wasn't fantasy trip but i did this once at a convention when uh the mayfair games version of city state of the invincible overlord came out which they call briarwood which i hated sounds like a suburb out of longview (laughs) (laughs) but anyway alan at alan's comics said if you'll run this you can have a free copy i'm like oh okay i'll run it and Part of the background politics was that the drow were slowly trying to take over the town using various criminal activities, sort of like a gang. Mm-hmm. And one of the guys I knew, Mike Haskins, his job was to run what the drow were doing, while the other player players were actually trying to find out what's going on and try and stop them, allegedly. <laughs> We then spent six hours, everybody just wandering over, fighting in the gladiatorial games, getting drunk, wandering around, starting fights in an alleyway, and Mike is just passing me these notes. I do this. I do this. My gang does this. Until I finally was just like, don't bother. You won. (laughs) (laughs) So that's the closest I've ever been to doing that with with quote-unquote NPC bad guys. But you're right. It it would be interesting to see how it would actually turn out with individuals in play in, say, a dungeon or something. Has anyone else experienced that? Closest I can think of doesn't really apply. I wrote a time travel trip where they met themselves coming back from the adventure and then had to figure out how to button the loop at the end so that they didn't change the past, their own past. <laughs> and let me guess, they kill themselves. <laughs> No, no, they were waving to each other. They saw their future selves, having successfully completed the adventure, land on top of a hill, you know, that's like a mile away. So that was my way of trying to keep them from interacting. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Okay. Every time you try and brownstein a situation, it, it, it goes left when it should go right. Because that's yeah. players. Because mm-hmm. that's what players do. Absolutely. Okay, well, my number three. I like how, in the labyrinth, they give you the campaign world of Sidri. But they're sure to bring it out the idea that it is massive, way, way bigger than Earth. Mm. And they're obviously doing that 
to where you can literally have entire campaign subworlds all over the continent or all over the planet. And because this planet is so massive and has so many broken up various continents and islands and stuff, you could have 10 different campaigns all going on on Sidri and never run into each other ever. I think that is really cool. That is a great way of, well, you're all using Sidri, but as opposed to the inevitable problems with Greyhawk or Forgotten Realms or something. And and I, I don't know about you guys, but I always run this concept that my players frequently have that, well, because I am a modern 20th, 21st century person and I know what the world looks like, obviously my character in this medieval fantasy knows what the whole world looks like. Or even just all of, say, Europe and that sort of thing. And I'm like, you're a sellsword in what amounts to Scotland. You may <laughs> maybe have heard of Germany, but that's it. You know, you don't know the whole world. You don't know Europe. Right on. I, I get I feel you because like in the original D D campaign that Gary and Dave Arneson ran, Blackmore and Greyhawk were just two little county sized countries in the what was it called? The Lake Geneva Tactical Media. Studies Association or Castles and Crusades Society? The Castle or... Crusade Society, that's what I'm thinking of, where they yeah. all had their little countries. But the but the the entire map would have been like the lower third of Wisconsin and a little bit of Michigan. That's it. Yeah. And it was the alleged great kingdom. But yeah, that 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 always runs into me. And then of course you end up with people playing off that and well, here's published for for Forgotten Realms, whatever that world is. I don't remember the name of it, but here's every inch of it just for you. And now you do know, but I'm about to get into a grouse about why I don't like pre-published campaigns. So we'll just skip that. <laughs> but yeah, the whole world and everything being imported from various realities and that ruling family, that reminded me of Zelazny's Amber series. Mm. A lot with their, you know, they ruled because they could travel different dimensions and realities. Before they all disappeared, of course, but I, I really like that setting. Anyway, wow, we're plowing along here. Two, Jim. The courtesy rule written into wizard combat is complete and utter. <laughs> <laughs> the courtesy rule is that everybody who comes into the arena to combat and do a wizard duel has agreed in advance not to throw a magic fist as their first spell. That's just malarkey. It's horse crap. Because <laughs> nobody in real life would do that, A. And, and, and it's not premised on anything from genre fiction or movies. I mean, think of Avatar and the movie Wizards. That's the whole point. You're finally at the end of the movie, the big climatic battle between brother and wizards, and Avatar yanks out a, a Luger and shoots him dead. You know? <laughs> mm -hmm. So that's a problem with your rules. That's <laughs> that you don't patch up with the courtesy rule. And I feel that way because of the chess-like aspect of the wizard combat. And like, if I've got initiative first and I, my wizard's going first, I am absolutely throwing shadow, a giant shadow globe over myself so I can't be targeted. If I'm going second, I'm going to figure out, okay, I've got to survive this first hit because here comes Mage Fist. <laughs> and then I'm throwing shadow. It's like chess. There's only so many good opening moves. You think they did that because they were trying to just pack the whole wizard's thing into a little micro game and had to come up with some rationale because all the playtesters were, were doing exactly that? I, I would bet the farm that it was a meta rule created by playtesters because that's what 
that's the first thing any of us would do is just you you would try and blow all your strength at once and power up a magic fist and take the guy out one shot. Yeah, artillery style. Like Batman to Guy Gardner. Just a well, one Like punch. the last 20 minutes of a Marvel movie. <laughs> okay, now it's the time. Everybody shoot lasers. Each other. <laughs> time to unload. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. And yeah, these opinions well, do not reflect the entire podcast crew of Safer House. Well, well, I mean, it'd fall into the category of Gandalf. You know, hey, you can go walk and take this this ring all the way over there, or you know what? I got some eagles. We'll just fly, <laughs> wizard. Yeah, but again, I think that falls into there's so many things that work well in fiction that would never work in a game mm. because it makes the assumption. Well, people are going to react this way, and it's like players would not do that. Or the horror movie. Oh, the lights just went out. I think I'll walk slowly backwards toward the door. That's open. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm certain nobody's behind me there with an ice pick. I guarantee you if my walls at home start to bleed and I hear a deep throaty voice say, get out, I'm in my car five seconds later. <laughs> like, oh, gotta go. <laughs> oh, I, I can say it may have been an arbitrary decision to put that rule in to avoid the one punch at the beginning of Wizard. But one could argue that's a problem with the game then. That's not something you just need to patch with a, well, we'll just agree not to do that, wink, wink. Well, well, the, well that was my point. That's a problem with your rule. Right. Okay. Corbett, two. Well, you know something I, I actually kind of liked about the rules, or at least the, I guess the, maybe it's the waffleness of the rules. They really don't emphasize initiative. They, they leave it pretty open-ended to, okay, initiative works by rolling the dice. You roll your dice, they roll your dice. Whoever gets the high number goes first, like it was. Or you can go by dexterity to, to determine who's going first. Or you can just say, you know what, I'm going to go and you're going to go. Bam, 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 bam. I go, you go, yeah. It's very kind of agreed upon. Like, this is what we do. And even in their example of combat, they, they show you like, oh, you can you can basically forego it halfway through. Like, we're doing it this way. Like, you know what? Let's just hit each other and get through this. Yeah, I mean, there's love there. I mean, it's initiative. <laughs> Your love out. is weird, Mike. Work it out. <laughs> you guys just work it out. It's all okay. Well, I like it in the micro games when they just say it's strictly in adjusted dexterity order. That's a good alternative to random rolled initiative, even with modifiers. And it's a balancer for everyone with plate mail. What's the first... Yeah rule in any game to be house ruled at home initiative i bet you in a top 10 list initiative is the first it's number one with a star (laughs) i'll buy that so that's your two no yeah it's two okay initiative nice and open-ended liz number two i'm probably gonna go with their write-up in the back of the village of bindwin Uh oh yeah it's a typical small village that players can encounter during their travels You get a map of the town, but only about five or six of the NPCs are actually detailed. And the others are left for the GM to create as needed, which I personally like because it allows individual GMs to put their own flavor into the town. But because they've already got the map and stuff, they don't have to do everything. You've got a bare sketch of what's there, and depending on what you need to have, you can plunk that down in there. On a side note, my like about that whole section uh-huh. is the map of the territory in, in that area, the quote-unquote campaign area. Oh, yeah. that It says right there, this map is not accurate. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> there are things missing. It's like, and sometimes map makers will just put a village in there to break up the monotony of all the woods. <laughs> <Yeah>. so, okay. 
a legend of what the symbols mean because the map maker thinks everyone should already know what they mean. <laughs> now that's medieval cartography there. That's hilarious. This forest is boring. I'm going to stick a little village right here just for visual interest. <laughs> you know? like Bob Ross, what are we going to call this? It's the Lonely Mountain, and let's give it a happy little dragon on the map. Yeah, yeah mm -hmm. so it won't be lonely anymore. Y you know, <laughs> you know here there really not be monsters, but it's just kind of bare, so I want to put a dragon there, and yeah, yeah so be monsters here now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a four hex dragon or a seven hex dragon. I love how the creatures in this are measured. Their sizes are measured in how many hexes they take up. That's right. Yeah, I like the giants were always like three hex giants. And the counter for them was a triangle. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Just sat in the three hexes. It was like a little pointy headed giant. It was, that was cool. Okay. Well, my number two. I like how they set up for people to plan for what their characters do between adventures by getting jobs. It, there's a whole section of how to get a job, how to keep a job. You know, it could kind of apply for kids <laughs> today, honestly. Uh, easy it, now. <laughs> <laughs> you could get a job, but, you know, if you go off for an adventure, it probably won't be waiting on you when you come back. What? <laughs> if I wanted to play papers and paychecks, I'd like <laughs> But, and best of all, it kind of had a traveler vibe because you would have to occasionally make saving rolls against bad events in your job for <laughs> good events. Because if you got a critical success, you could kind of like get bonuses or a great thing happened in your job that the referee would decide or a bad thing. You could get fired or injured or any of that stuff. So it was almost like the job situation was a very rules light sub adventure section. And it already had substance, subsistence level amounts in dollar signs taken <laughs> out. So you don't have to, like, calculate that. And there was the whole thing of, you know, if you just want a job like slopping a pig trough, you don't have to roll to see if you can get that with any other skills or anything. You've just got it. But it doesn't pay you anything because it's presumed to just pay you enough as, as subsistence. And that's it. So I really like that job section. I would I would import that in all <laughs> sorts of RPGs. A hypocrite. What? I don't like dollar signs, but I love working. I just wouldn't put put dollar signs. That's all. Unless it's it was dollar bills, y'all. In which case, a modern game with a dollar sign or a pound sign, depending on where you're located. A modern game fine. where you're working all day, like the life you live. <laughs> no, that, it, it has old school underpinnings in. City State of the Invincible Overlord. You want to get tapped as a vagrant? Don't have a job. Yeah. Now you're going to City State of the Overlord Court. And, and discover the little sub-dungeon of the jail. Yeah. Which is a little <laughs> sub-dungeon adventure. Enjoy. Uh, so, But you won't be paying dollar signs. <laughs> I just picture this silver coin with a dollar sign on it. Like the like in the Uncle Scrooge cartoons. But he swam in. <laughs> Call them Sidry Bucks and make yourself feel better. <laughs> Sidry Bucks. <laughs> I just had this picture of these coupons you can use. <laughs> the dragon had all of its treasure in Sidry Bucks. So, and how many Sidry Bucks would it take to buy a ladder, Corvid? Uh, no, it's a pretty funny thought though. A dragon like I just bought lottery tickets. They're kind of soft. <laughs> it's like a hundred thousand scratch off <laughs> tickets, and he's got <laughs> enjoy. And he's. <laughs> Blast it. I felt lucky. <laughs> <laughs> 
not again. <laughs> I don't have a problem. <laughs> now all I can see is a dragon with like the half glasses, the little accountant's visor, the little things to hold his sleeves up, and a calculator that has the big lever. Well, in the world of Sidri, everybody has glasses, so that's pretty normal, really. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think we have connected the dots. The Lens Crafters Guild. (laughs) (laughs) Alright, Jim, take us home. Number one. My number one is, if you have never, if you're listening to this and you've never seen these, go get them because they've been released fairly recently by Steve Jackson Games because as a design, as a game design exercise, they are well worth reading and studying as a rules light simplified RPG system. I even in 2022 love the way the old two micro games are written because you can see lots of things that anticipate where we're at now with the games that are more like phaser rip. That was one way to do it, another way to do it. But he pioneered a lot of stuff that showed up in GURPS and have showed up in modern games in this. For micro games, for man-to-man skirmish rules, none of it holds up as a full-fledged RPG design because all the factors that make it great tabletop miniatures game fight it to be a good full-blown RPG. And I think, I don't think it was just because Steve Jackson and metagaming concepts parted ways that he ran off and immediately did. I'll show you and did GURPS. I know him just a little bit in passing from Gary Cons. I think he was smart enough that he took a step back and went, wait a minute, why isn't the fantasy trip a best-selling RPG? Which it never really was. It was very niche. I know. I'll take the good stuff from the fantasy trip and, and make it work as a full-fledged RPG. And then came GURPS, in my humble opinion. Send all hate mail to saveordiepodcast at gmail.com. <laughs> Void where prohibited. Jim, don't you mean safe or half? No. I mean- no, I do not. <laughs> no, I do not. Oh, totally slipped by me. I didn't notice that. No, all lottery scratchers send a Jim. Safe or half. Daddy needs a new dragon horde. <laughs> all right, Corbett, number one. You know, I do have a couple wizard spells I thought were really good, but I'm kind of going to skip over those because I figured for sure Liz was going to have like just herds of uncle teeth and mob apes and piranha keats and everything else. And she never mentioned one animal. He took mine. (laughs) He just mentioned it in passing. Surprise is ruined now. Well, no, there's like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of animals in this that are just, just crazy. And they're interesting, but Hey, I haven't done my number one yet. Piranha That's okay. <laughs> no, mine mine is actually there's a lot of mob ones too. I noticed that too. Yeah. Like they'll they'll hit you and start just ganging up on you and it gets bad. Mm-hmm. One of those that was like that was the blood trees. I thought that was oh, horrifying. Yeah. They're they're roots. They're a root system <laughs> that will just suck you in and you're gone. And you're gonna you're gonna die real fast too. And there's no way to get away from it. Once you're grappled, it's it's all over. But uh they are <laughs> There, there's a lot of fun. I, I got to admit, as a game that you like, hey, I want a bunch of weird stuff. This would be the game to buy if you really want a list of, I need some weird animals nobody's run into. This would be the one. There's just crazy the stuff. Mo- a lot of the monsters are very 70s gonzo RPG. They really well, are. Well, some of them are totally benign. Like, oh, it's just a thing that eats grass and stand. Why did you even put it in? I don't know. Just put it in there. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Something to kill. Yeah, I think there's a cow. I think there is a cow in the list. <laughs> Here's a cow. Okay, cool. Oh, yeah, there's quite a lot of quote unquote normal animals. But they're all mixed in. It's kind of funny. Yeah. You're just like, oh, yeah, there's. It'd be even funnier for like a random wandering monster encounter. They were all mixed in. You're in the dungeon. Oh, the crab men? 
Here's a cow. Depends on your players. Just a regular cow. If you're the knights at the dinner table, suddenly one of your players yeah. decides that must be a magic cow, and now you've got an that adventure. Has to be. Yep. I'm gonna. I'm gonna get that cow. The the fence is a hundred feet tall. I'll climb it. <laughs> Clearly, this cow is valuable. Otherwise, why would it be behind a one hundred foot, foot tall fence? Guys, I will ride my dolphin around the fence. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! Michael Curtis ran us an adventure at North Texas Con years ago, and as we're crossing town, there's a cat in the alley. And we all decide that cat must be a god because it's a Michael Curtis game. <laughs> yeah, that's, 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 that's a demigod cat or, or something. Well, the, the we joke. in the game? Because I recall a cat in an alley. Yeah, I think I fed that cat. Yeah. Were we all in the same game? I only remember sitting next to Arrow Lotus. <laughs> I was going to say, he, he may have run the same scenario, you know, different times. Honestly, yeah. I don't remember who was in that game with us. But yeah, I remember running across a cat and I was playing a neutral, good, bleeding heart type character. And he was describing the cat and how it looked all scrawny and hungry. So I gave it some of my rations. <laughs> so yeah, all sorts of Lots things. Of Lots of fun. Lots of fun. Okay. You can go on your own. I figured you guys would have more by now. There is a lot. And there's a lot of spells, too. I could go about spells. Well, I didn't even, even touch still only other like... than that, uh, the, the staff. I figured I'm going to leave the spells alone because Jim. There's a lot of cool ones that were like, that's a neat idea. I like that idea. Yeah. Like, I could I could see taking those spells and doing a lot with them, too. There's not as many as you would see in D&D, like Jim said. For I'm sure. sorry. My top five were all game designery, but <laughs> I think I already said I'm in the middle of revising my own skirmish rules. So I'm just thinking like a game designer this week. Yeah, it's your jam. That's okay. My number one's going to be kind of designery too. So, Liz. Okay, just to make Corbett feel better, my number one, <laughs> I'm going to cover from the Bastiri section of the book. My, not my favorite monstrous plant. Well, maybe it is my favorite, the Am Bush. Get it? Oh. Get it? Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> the Am Bush. So and... jumps you in the morning. Well, <laughs> it fires seed pods of poisonous gas, and usually it waits until the victim gets really close to it so that the decomposing body can act as fertilizer for the plant. And these plants can have like up to a hundred of these pods, and they fire them in bursts. So yeah, all of a sudden you're walking along minding your own business and then wham, you know, you're in the middle of a cloud of poisonous gas and it kills you. <laughs> and you're a fertilizer. And you are fertilizer. And they make a <laughs> they make a point of saying that when the bush is killed, any remaining pods lose potency almost immediately. So you mm. can't even be an enterprising sort of player and harvest the remainders. It's like, oh, sorry, Bill, that you died, but hey, I got these other pods. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of stuff in there that seems specifically designed to keep players from maxing it out. Like the uh, wizard staff spell I was talking about. There's ability yeah. in there that you can plan to have your staff explode if anyone other than you teaches it or touches it and it explodes for all the dice that's in it it's like three or four dice worth Mm -hmm. it says well if you kill a wizard it eventually wears off and you can pick up it his staff when well who knows right who knows pick it up and find out (laughs) (laughs) it's one of those creatures too that has a value doesn't it because remember the crab men they're like oh they're also good to eat with butter which i thought was funny (laughs) 
the ambush is like a wizard. Yeah, you wizard can use the or? branches and stuff, but you you just can't use the poison gas pods. I mean, you right, can still right. get money for other bits of it. But it's like funny how they like that. They're not all animals have like value to them. Like, you can dig to the spleen all you want, but that's one of those. I remember those like, yeah, we we need that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> well, my number one. Most of the adventures I found for the fantasy trip were solo adventures. I found very few that were intended to be run with a referee. And a lot can be said about Metagaming Incorporated from the 70s and early 80s before it shut down. A lot can be said about its editor, Howard Thompson. But one thing they did that I've got to give them kudos for that was just awesome, they had an adventure called Treasure of the Silver Dragon. It was not only a f- little little solo adventure in its own right, but in it were clues. This is before the days of geocaching, by the way, and those clues were supposed to lead you to a place in the country where you would find an actual, like, 10-pound solid silver statue of a dragon. And it was worth a couple of thousand dollars in 1978. So, you know, it'd be like 10000 today. Wow. And a kid won it. He found it. It was apparently just outside Tucson in Arizona somewhere and in a little pile of stones. And unfortunately, it later turned out he ended up melting it down to pay for his college. I was going to be my next question was whether he converted the silver to dollar signs. He did. <laughs> he did indeed. Which really sucks, because can you imagine if that statue was still intact? Mm. They had planned to do another one that was going to be like the Golden Orb or something like that. I forget exactly what it was, but metagaming went out of business before they had a chance to do it. Golden Unicorn, that was it. It was going to be a statue of a unicorn, but they went out. Mm. So, And, you know, say what you want, that was a cool idea, especially for the late 70s. Yeah. So, salute. All right, well... Let's take another pod break, and then we'll talk about what makes a save. And Kentucky Fried Chicken, golden brown. Kentucky Fried, the best in town. Finger licking good, yes, you'll agree. Kentucky Fried Chicken, great for the family. Hey everyone, this is Tim from Tomorrow's End Podcast. If you're interested in post-apocalyptic moral project, then Tomorrow's End Podcast is for you. You can hear us at tomorrowsend.org, or you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Facebook, and more. This portion of the show is being brought to you by Ed's Eat All You Want and Not Give a Damn Anymore Weight Control Center. The last resort for lifelong hefties who are sick of diets and exercise and want to start enjoying themselves for a change. What makes a save and what is going to take? Free art! And this time we'll reverse order, so DM Liz... What makes the save? And what pre-arcs? Alrighty, what makes the save? Uh, basically, what I stated as my number five very first thing, or actually, no, that wasn't my number five. That was my first impression. That's basically what I think makes the save. The background for their world of Seedry. You have maximum flexibility for types of adventures. It allows players to do one-shots of various genres, sci-fi, Old West, whatever, and you can still get them home again when they want to go back to their fantasy setting. 
it's really a very cutting concept. I think that is just the awesome sauce for this whole system. And you can multi-genre. Right. Again, you know, kind of a proto-GURPS here. Yeah. What does not make the save, for me, the advanced combat section. It just goes on and on and on and on. You've got hexes. You've got mega hexes. You're engaged or you're disengaged. If your opponent is very large, then a single human opponent cannot engage them. If the opponent is a swarm of small creatures, they cannot actually engage you. There are actions you can take only if you're engaged and actions you can take only if you are disengaged and just blah, 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 blah. It, this is so sudden. Yeah. This was way too much crunch for, for me. These are a few of her angrier things. That's right. <laughs> I'm going all Monday, Liz, on this. <laughs> <laughs> but again, like I said earlier when I touched on this, you know, there are small gems throughout the section that I would find useful to use. So I can't even say it's completely worthless to me. Um, it's like, but on the whole, I'd say 90% of what's in the advanced combat section, I would be very happy to just push off to the side and ignore. <laughs> okay. Corbett, no ladders. Makes a save. No, no, no. No ladders. <laughs> <laughs> no true reverse, true reverse order, shouldn't you have gone first, sir? No. He always oh, goes okay last. Then. He gets the final <laughs> save. Ah, Creep. There's got to be some benefit to, to hurting these cats. Come on. I forgot you were the Reed Richards at this point. <laughs> uh, okay, makes a save. Dollar signs. They're really great for me. I love the dollar. No, just... <laughs> no, no. Makes the save. It's easy. And actually, dollar signs is part of that. It doesn't complicate you with anything too much. It If you go into the advanced rules, yeah, it's, it's, it's thick. But if you just take the basic rules, which literally you know at this point, just by listening to this podcast, you now know the rules and can start playing now. You don't even have to buy it yet. That's pretty sad. Now, but now. it's still pretty good. It's still worth it as a game to have. But it's it's really easy. It's really fun. You could throw it down and like, all right, we're playing this game and let's start going. And there's plenty of weird creatures and stuff like that. So yeah, it's easy. It's easy, 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 easy. What makes what doesn't what fails? I forgot how we say it now. Whatever. The other Yikes. things. <laughs> I just say makes the save doesn't make the save. What doesn't make it is um guilds specifically jobs the big thing in there was jobs and jobs are like 99 they even say it like 99 percent of everybody who does this is in this guild and that bugs me like 99 percent of anybody who's a professional has to be in the guild they can't just be like that's historically accurate yeah but it's not fantasy it's not fun <laughs> it's not it's not lone ranger you know, it's it's not uh, it's not Conan. It's, it's uh, what Dritz, I guess, which is fine. But it's it's not. It doesn't have the lone wanderer feel that I think I enjoy in a lot of fantasy and sci-fi. You know, not everybody has to join the Jedi Academy or go to Hogwarts. They could just be the lone wanderer who does a thing. Mm -hmm. And that that bugs me that they kind of enforce that in the world. The world's like like Liz says, it's got a lot of interesting stuff going on. So it's, it's not like unmalleable, but yeah, that was something that just bugged me. Like you, you got to work I'm like, okay. <laughs> I thought me well, killing stuff and getting gold was worth it, but yeah, whatever. Well, I mean, if you do that enough, you don't have to work. Yeah. I feel like if I were paying more attention, I could have a complete notebook list of everything that would torque Corbett off in a fantasy role-playing game by this stage. <laughs> 
And then you can create a game that incorporates all of those things. (laughs) Is that your goal right now? (laughs) No, no, it's just such an odd list. You know, ladders that cost too many coppers. (laughs) A game that requires me to have a job. Well, a medieval fantasy game requires me to have a job. Not if I'm a vampire hunter in some town west of Texas. Game game books that can kill X amount of vermin, you know, at any given time. I'm sorry. That's just a thing. I was just like, yeah. <laughs> You're loud, man. It's your bag, baby. <laughs> but yeah, doesn't make the save. It's everybody's gotta work. Okay. <laughs> all right, Jim. What makes the save is this game bothered Corbett. No. Um <laughs> God. Uh what makes a save is it's just fantastic man-to-man skirmish level fantasy combat rules. I mean, even whatever it's been, 40 years later, those rules are still playable and you still have a good time with them. I think we touched on something that we didn't talk about in the game. That's because these rules are a second generation set of rules and written very much in response to the first generation set of rules. So Steve Jackson is like, maybe seven years older than me. That's about how much I'm older than you, but he's one of us. I love games that are not written on a tower somewhere very theoretical it's applied knowledge and by a hardcore gamer and you can just tell when he wrote these uh, melee when i bought melee and knew who it was i was on the lookout okay new metagaming concepts game pocket game oh nope that one's not by steve jackson i don't want it you know i started being the <laughs> steve jackson fan in 1977 what doesn't make the save is the fantasy trip itself and in the labyrinth is just not the greatest RPG in the world. Uh, for a lot of the reasons we talked about, including what Liz just said about, can you imagine running a four-hour session of this, how many combats using those combat rules you would you could squeeze in? If you were using the advanced combat system, yeah. One. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, no thanks. So it just doesn't scale as well, but that just led to GURPS, and GURPS, you can, you can, you can play GURPS, so, you know. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, mine... What makes a save? Solo adventures. I really liked Fantasy Trip. It was probably my second favorite fantasy RPG back in the day. But nobody would run it. I was the only one that would run it. But I want to play it. So instead, I grabbed all the solo adventures. Now, they didn't have nearly as many solo adventures as, say, Tunnels and Trolls did. But they had, you know, eight or nine. So, you know, it was a decent little little split. And... I really enjoyed that. I mean, literally, you could get Melee, Wizard, and Death Test, and, you know, that could play, you could, hours of enjoyment right there, all by yourself. Especially in the late 70s, where just finding people to game with could be a problem. That was very, very useful and should not be underestimated. It was a direction that I think metagaming did well in trying to cultivate. Ah, what Briarchs? I am not a fan of the way the XP system works. Not that hmm. it's bad, but it just smacks too much of D&D. It's like, well, we need to give like 200 XP for killing this monster. Why? Well, because that sounds about right to what it would be in D&D. That's not necessary. It's not necessary for your system. Just have X number of XP points work toward an attribute or a talent or a spell and, and leave it alone. And I understand it's much like the 3D6 range for attributes more or less the 3 to 18 why is it that way why was it that way in in melee wizard because that's the way it was in D&D that's what everyone expected so i figure that's kind of where the experience point system came down but it just it was a missed opportunity there to really kind of break away from that it is funny considering they separated in so many other spots right right there's so many other areas that they intentionally broke away from all i can think of is they were afraid of getting too far away and maybe alienating 
gamers who are like, well, mm. but most of the role-playing games from the 70s, most of them were 3 to 18. Why? Because, well, that's what D&D was. That's what everyone expected. Well, and it's much easier to stick 3D6 in a minigame than it is a whole D20. Very true. true. Very true. But we're talking about all the role-playing. Call of Cthulhu did that. Uh, RuneQuest. Villains of Vigilantes. A lot of them had that same baseline. Why? Because, well, D&D. That's what D&D did, so that's what everyone's kind of expecting. But yeah, fortunately, Melee Wizard leaned far into that of, you really only need a D6. One D6. I mean, do a heck of a lot of rolling, but you could play this with one dice. And that, not nothing. That you probably already have around the house, but we'll give you one anyway. Yep. We'll give you a really teeny tiny one. Yeah. The micro games dice. The super, super tiny. Yeah, the itty bitty ones, like smaller than a sugar cube. Yeah. I tried to collect Come on, we all started at the same time. Those were great for pissing off your DM, too. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, definitely a baby choking hazard, certainly. (laughs) Yeah. Forget Boba Fett. This thing will choke your four-year-old brother or sister. (laughs) But they were cool. (laughs) <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I've still got a few of them laying around. Unfortunately, I was the DM that they pissed me off with, with those teeny tiny little D6s. So. Yeah, no. I just rolled an 18 double zero for strength, I swear, look. Yeah, way over here at the end of the ta- long, long cafeteria table. Right, well, this has been Melee slash Wizard slash In the Labyrinth slash The Fantasy Trip. We'll have some links in the show notes. The game is still being supported. Steve Jackson Games has been putting out new adventures. They've got a fanzine called Hexagram, which I believe is at least to issue six already. Hmm. So there's stuff out there. It is still being supported. Oh, yeah. Uh, I love all the reprint stuff. He does a really good job on that. This and Car Wars and Ogre, except I couldn't afford the giant Ogre box. Yeah, me neither. I just couldn't find myself plunking out that much money for something that I probably would never actually play. But it was beautiful. It had a lot of nifty stuff with it. A lot of it's still for sale on their website. Uh, The reprints are obviously way cheap on eBay. Yeah. So, right. So, everybody say goodbye. I am group. <laughs> <laughs> Mage fist. <laughs> See ya. Uh, adios. <laughs> Briarch. The Briarching of the Briarch. We're hand to hand with And we're out. Podcast is a production of the Mud Puppy Games Network and the Gagman Podcast. The Save for Half theme music is provided by the band Mississippi Bones. You can find them at mississippibones.bandcamp.com. All player characters mentioned in this podcast are fictional, and any resemblance to PCs living or dead is purely coincidental. No NPCs were armed in the making of this podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Save for Half. <laughs>